0: Welcome to the Exchange Church Podcast. Feel free to join us live on Facebook every Sunday at 10 a.m. at facebook.com slash exchangechurch. The following message is brought to you by our lead pastor, Pastor Jared Brooks. So good to see you here this morning. I feel like every week as the as the people come in, we have a different group of people every week. I feel like y'all have Y'all have been online, like texting. Are you going this week? Okay, cool. I'll set out this week. I'll go next week. So everybody kind of shifting and shifts. But uh, we appreciate those of you that are here in person. Always good to see real people, live people uh, that maybe laugh if we say something funny, maybe laugh if we do something dumb. I don't know. But uh, it's always good to see you here. And it's so good to have those of you that are watching online or those that may be listening. Listen, here's something that we have in common, okay, we're going to talk about this for just a minute, but we all have embarrassing moments, anybody, anybody have an embarrassing moment that uh, you want to share with the class today? I'm just kidding, we're not going to do that, but we all have embarrassing moments, I've had, I can't even count the number of embarrassing moments I have, and they all have different rankings, and there are these moments that are super embarrassing or whatever, but typically, A month later or two months later or maybe years later, when we look back at it, we can laugh about it, you know? I haven't had tons of embarrassing moments. I'm typically kind of hard to embarrass, believe it or not. Uh, So it doesn't, not a lot will embarrass me. There's a few moments I remember. I remember one time when I was a kid, we were in Brownfield, and we were at a playoff basketball game, and it was crowded. It was real crowded, and I was talking about how hard it is for me to be embarrassed And my Uncle Joe began to scream out. And we were coming out of a playoff basketball game. I was up against the rail. Here's the front row of the stands. And we're just, you know, moving like this. And my Uncle Joe starts turning around going, stop touching me. Stop touching me. He starts screaming at me. He's like, stop touching my rear. Stop touching me. And that was embarrassing. And uh, now I look back at it. It's kind of funny. Uh, Now I'm trying to think of what I need to do back to him. Because it's been a long time. One of the most embarrassing moments that I can remember when I, th- I was just thinking about them is back in the year 1997. I was a year removed from high school. Dun, 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 whatever. Um, I graduated in 96. This is September of 97. I had just turned 19 years old. I was an up-and-coming youth pastor. Uh, of this church in Lubbock, Texas called The Worship Center with one of my heroes, Pastor Todd Turnbow. And uh, he asked me to preach on a Sunday. Now, for most of you, that doesn't mean anything to you, okay? Nothing to you. But if you've ever come from a ministerial background, Sunday's kind of like the big day, you know? That's the big gig. Little people don't get to preach on Sunday. Uh, You know, the youth pastors and the peons, all the other little... They don't get, Sunday is built for the man, the pastor, right? So if the man ever gave you an opportunity to preach, it was a really big deal. And Pastor Todd, a lot of y'all, how many of y'all know Pastor Todd? Okay, so some of you know Pastor Todd. Pastor Todd is a white man. He's actually a black man trapped in a white man's body. Okay? So uh, when you hear him talk, if y'all were to just listen to his messages, you'd think he's, he's black. Uh, just listening to him because he, I mean, he gets so fired up. And I tell you, one day I was broke. I was busted. I, I was disgusted. And let me tell you something. I didn't have two nickels to rub together and to make a dime. But what I did have was I had Jesus. And he would just, you know, that's Pastor Todd. And he was, he's a big man. And he would break down. This is when I was a youth pastor. He, I've asked him to do it before. He actually did it here at the church when we were on 1960. But he used to just bust wrap in the splits. He was a, a big guy. And he would just drop down in the splits, pull himself back up, and do this little thing. <laughs> so, so, so I said all of that to say he was a hard act to follow. Okay? I'm just a little white guy trapped in a little white guy's body. <laughs> and I couldn't preach like him. And so I was so nervous. So he asked me to preach on the Sunday. So, everybody in the church loved me. Uh, I was just a sweet guy. Most of the people in the church were like family to me. My youth group was growing. You know, my mom was there. My dad was there. It's just, you know, it's just a fun little thing. So, everybody's rooting for me to do good, right? And I get up there behind the podium. And they had a podium like this that was solid so you couldn't see if the zipper was unzipped. And... I stand at the podium, and as I look out and start talking, I get caught in mouth real bad, and I can't see my notes. My notes were out of order. Somehow, they got out of order on the way up there. So I got to start, started hyperventilating a little bit. I was, to, I was trying to get my first part, and I could see people going, which made it worse, because I'm like, you know, so I'm thinking, okay, I have this glass of water sitting right beside my my table, and so I need to get a drink of water, so I'm trying to look at my notes about when the good time to take a drink of water is, and I'm talking, I'm shaking, and I reach for my water, and I hit it, and knock it over like this, and I caught it, and grabbed it, which was a save, everybody clapped, yeah, that was awesome, I was like, oh, thank God, and they're like, It was so bad. At this point, I just wanted to get to the altar call. Do you need Jesus? Say amen. Come down here and pray. I'm gone, you know. It's one of those kind of things. It was so embarrassing. Now I look back at it, and it's funny. A few years ago, I went back for a, a 20, 20th reunion of this church plant, and uh, one of the guys who was there at the time, he was a board member at the time, he had recorded that on VHS. You remember those? Anybody? So I have the VHS tape of that first message. I don't know how to play it, (laughs) because they don't make those things hardly anymore. But uh, anyway, I have a VHS tape, if anybody ever wants proof, of my first sermon to preach on a Sunday morning back in the year of 1977. But uh, anything, my point is this, is that we all have embarrassing moments. And for most of us, we can look back on those moments, and we can laugh at them, you know, no big deal. But the other thing that we have in common is a lot of us have moments that we don't want to think about again, that we don't laugh at when we look back at it, that we don't, it's not funny, it's not something that we even ever even want to think about, it's not something we ever want to even discuss, it's a moment that if we could, that we would just go back and we would either unlive it or that we would redo it, right? How many of you have those moments, something that you wish that you could unlive or that you could redo? The interesting thing about what we're going to talk about today is Simon Peter, who's one of my heroes, one of my superheroes of the faith, Simon Peter had one of these moments. He had one of these moments that he wished he could go back and unlive or a moment that he wished that he could redo. And and the reason that we know Simon Peter had one of these moments is because Simon Peter actually told us about this moment. He documented this moment. He wanted us to know something about it. Here's what he wanted you and I to know. Those of us who have things in our past that we don't want to look back at, we don't want to think about, we don't want to retell, we don't want to relive. Simon Peter, if he was here, he would say things like this. Listen, there is a safe place that you can leave that stuff. There is a safe place that you can take those hurtful, those painful memories of the past, and you can leave them. The things that are shameful, he may say. The things in your life that are painful. There is a safe place that you can leave them. Your past may always remind you, Amen? Because it does that to us sometimes. It reminds us, but your past, in God's perspective especially, doesn't have to define you. So here's the good news. If you're carrying anything this morning, you walked into this place, and you have anything in your life that maybe you've held on to that is shameful or that is painful, I'm so glad that you're here this morning. I'm so glad that you're watching this morning. Today, we are actually in part number seven of You Are Not Far. This is a story that I'm going to recap for a moment that should have died in Nero's Rome, but it survived antiquity, and the story kept getting told, and it kept getting told, and it kept getting passed down from generation and generation. And it's a story about Jesus of Nazareth, and it's it's told to us from one of his most famous apostles, who is Simon Peter, And he tells this story to one of his traveling companions, John Mark. And John Mark takes and he he edits and he dictates, writes this story down. And it comes to us today as the Gospel of Mark. And, and, And what happens is you have this Gospel of Mark. Back then it was just a document. It was just Peter's retelling of the story. But they took... Peter's document or Mark's document that he wrote, they gathered that with Matthew's document and with Luke's document and with John's document and another document that Luke wrote, the book of Acts, and then they collected the Apostle Paul's letters that he wrote to some of the churches, they collected Peter's letters, they put all them together, and then they took the Jewish scripture, the Hebrew scripture, which is, was called the Law and the Prophets, we call it the Old Testament. They took that that was already in existence, they brought it in, they put them all together in a book, and we call it the Bible, okay? But this morning, again, we've said this over and over and over because this is so important. Relevance is important, and context is important, but as you hear us telling the stories, you hear me telling the story, don't hear me reading from the Bible, because when this was written, it wasn't the Bible. It was a document. Mark was was not writing the Bible. Mark was simply documenting Peter's experience with Jesus of Nazareth. What had happened was so significant, so powerful, so awesome that they needed to document this and write it down. It wasn't for the Bible. It was just to document Peter's experience. So Peter tells us all throughout the gospel of Mark that when Jesus began to teach and when Jesus began to preach and when he went around, crowds would follow him. But everything that he said, everything that he always taught had a central theme, and the central theme was this. We've said it every week thus far. The time has come. Something new has come to planet Earth. The kingdom of God is near. The time has come. The time has come. Something brand new is here. The kingdom of God is near. And for those of us here today, the kingdom of God is here. But this was Jesus' message of what was about to happen. And he says, because of this, your response needs to be this. Repent. And the translation, that word repent, literally means change the way that you're thinking. Change your way of thinking. And then he says, so change your way of thinking and what? Believe. Believe what? The good news. There is great, great news that you need to change the way you've always thought about God. Change the way you've always thought about salvation and sin. Change those things. And you need to repent and believe this good news. That's so important to where we're going today because the good news that Jesus preached over and over and over again as I was growing up, I always kind of thought that the good news was this, that Jesus died for our sins and because of that we get to go to heaven. The good news was even more than that. The good news was even greater than that. The good news was this, that Jesus actually came to reveal the Father. The good news was that Jesus says, I've come to this earth to show you what God is like. So when he says, repent, change your way of thinking, what he's trying to tell you is, look, you have a misconception of who the father is. You have a misunderstanding of who God is. I have come to this earth. And one of the reasons I've come to this earth is to reveal to you, to show you what God actually looks like. And the difficult thing for Peter to believe, and sometimes the most difficult thing for for us to believe, and especially first century Judeans to believe, the most difficult thing for us to believe is that God is like Jesus. Now, you don't have to agree with that statement if you don't want to. I'll just say it from my perspective. Growing up, I always looked at God as God, untouchable, you know, just all-powerful, whatever. And I always looked at Jesus was the hero. Jesus is the one I can relate to. Jesus is my homeboy. I need that t-shirt, right? Jesus is my homeboy. That's kind of how I always viewed it. Well, Jesus is saying, no, 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 no. I've come to show you exactly what he looks like. Exactly what he looks like. Jesus goes on and he says this. If you have seen me, you have seen the Father. In another statement, Jesus also said, no one has seen the Father at any time. And then he goes on to say, but if you've seen me, you have seen the Father. Maybe the reason that you've had such a hard time with your faith, uh, maybe the reason that you walked away from faith as a teenager, maybe you walked away from faith as a college student, or maybe you're struggling with your faith even right now, even more recently, is that maybe you never really understood the message Of Jesus, Jesus' message. Maybe it was brought to you, the whole Bible and and Christianity and all that religion was kind of brought to you and manipulated to you in a way that it wasn't appealing, it wasn't attractive. You didn't see and understand completely the message of Jesus, and so it kind of put a bitter taste in your mouth. But Peter, if he was here, he would say, listen, no, 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 no. That's not not the truth. The truth is what I'm trying to tell you because I saw it. I walked in it. The message of Jesus was this. I've come to reveal God the Father to you. I've come to reveal the Father's heart to you. What Pastor Kevin up here with tears thrown down his face was trying to say, what Jesus would say if he was here. Please, please, please. If you want to see, if you want to know what God is like, Watch me, watch me, listen to me, because I, every word is ordained. Every step that I take is on purpose for a purpose. I'm going to show you, if you'll watch me, I'm going to show you exactly what God looks like. I'm going to show you exactly who God is. Somebody say amen. Isn't that good? That's not, that's my intro. Now I'm going to get to my message. So, previously on You're Not Far, um, Jesus and his disciples, they made their way, and we'll put the map up there, especially for those that are watching online. Jesus has made his way all the way from Caesarea Philippi down through Galilee all the way down into Judea, and now they are in Jerusalem. Now, you remember the last few weeks we've talked about this. Uh, Jesus, all along the way, kept stopping the guys and warning the guys what was about to happen, what was coming up. and So they finally made it to the city of Jerusalem, (laughs) and they spend about a week in the city of Jerusalem, and they're disturbing the peace. And when I say they, I really meant Jesus, okay? Not really the disciples, but Jesus Jesus was stirring up trouble, okay? They, they were hoping, the disciples and the crowd that was following Jesus, they were hoping this, that when they get to the city, that they are going to make friends, that people are going to welcome them, love them, they're going to lift up Jesus, praise him, and it's going to be awesome. Jesus will begin to establish himself as the king, establish himself, establish this kingdom. So they were ready because Jesus had been preparing them for this moment. So they knew something big was about to happen. So they get to the city and they're thinking, this is it. This is the big reveal. And Jesus goes straight to the temple and he starts teaching the strangest things. He starts teaching these whack sermons. And they're like, whoa, 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 Jesus. They leave. The next day they go back to the temple. He does it again. Over and over and over, Jesus starts teaching the strangest things in the temple. He starts really stirring up a lot of trouble and causing a lot of disruption. All the religious leaders, they started trying to trap Jesus over and over and over. Every time they tried to trap Jesus, all of these religious teachers, Jesus would then take their own words and humiliate them. (laughs) This is not a good look for the disciples. The disciples are thinking, whoa, 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 whoa. We came to make friends, you know. I love you. You know, right? We're the happy, right? And you're not doing that, Jesus. You're just making everybody mad. You're making fun of them. You're taking their words, and and you're humiliating them. And that's what's happening over and over and over. The 12, they thought that this was it, you know? This was it. All of a sudden, it's, it's the night for the Passover. It's the Passover meal. So the 12 gather with Jesus, and they think, this is, this is the moment that he's going to take off his rabbinic robe, you know. He's going to reveal himself. He's going to let them in on the big announcement. He's going to let them in on what's about to happen. And so they gather together, and this is it. This is when he's going to say that he's the Messiah, and he's going to establish himself as the king, and that there's going to be a brand new kingdom, and he's about to reveal it, right? Well, he revealed something, but it's not at all what they expected. It's not what they thought. Here was his big reveal They settled down for the Passover meal And Jesus says this In Mark chapter 14 Verse 23 It says while they were eating Jesus took bread And when he had given thanks He broke it and he gave it to the disciples Saying take it Eat it, this is my body (laughs) That's weird right? That's not weird to you? If I came over to your house or, or you came over to my house and we were all eating, Daryl, and I sat down and I said, here, take, eat this bread. It's my body. That wouldn't be weird to you to be like, oh, okay, thanks. Thank you. That's a mm, good body. All right? Great. Right? Is that not weird to anybody else, just me? Because it was really weird to the disciples. This was, this was not cool. He says, and in the same way, he took the cup, and when he had given thanks, he He gave it to them, and they all drank from it. (laughs) And then he smiles, and he says, oh, and by the way, this is my blood of the covenant, which is poured out for many. Okay? This is crazy. This is crazy talk. A covenant between God and everybody. They were thinking, okay, so a covenant is fine. Fine if you want to establish a covenant or whatever That's fine but what about the kingdom What about the kingdom we thought that you Are a king and you're going to be The king so what what about the Kingdom so They leave the upper room They head to the garden of Gethsemane At the garden of Gethsemane that's Where Judas shows up y'all remember the story Judas shows up and he Comes along with the temple henchmen And the temple soldiers they arrest Jesus and then Peter Peter and I'm sure as Peter is telling this story to Mark, Mark is probably throughout the, the, a lot of this story trying to talk Peter out of putting this in. Mark's probably like, are you sure you want me to say that? You know, are you sure you want me to, to put in this detail? You, you don't have to necessarily reveal every detail. And Peter's like, no, you need to write this down. So Mark says, okay. And he wrote it down. And Peter said, that night when that happened, me... And everybody, we deserted him and fled. We took off. We were gone. Understandably, because it was over, right? They thought this was the big reveal. This was the moment. But it kind of backfired. And when it backfired, clearly he was no king. Clearly there was going to be no kingdom. It was obvious at that moment, in spite of what Jesus taught, that the kingdom of God was not near that god actually was not even near they're so confused they're so blown away everything is just just unraveling at the moment now this is what happens next peter gives us all kinds of details about jesus's trial he talks about who was there he talks about what they said he talks about some of their back and forth conversations some private conversations now if you're kind of like me and this is this was always something that Puzzled my mind So Peter Is telling this story to Mark Peter says Right here We bounced we deserted him Well then how In the world did Peter Or Mark who's writing this down Know What went on in these private Conversations between The high priest the, The temple high priest The chief priest the Pharisees, the teachers of the law, and Jesus. Because they had a lot of private conversations. And Peter goes in, and he actually gives us some detail of these conversations. But Peter just told us that when this happened, he took off. So Peter wasn't even there in these private conversations. Have you ever thought about that? Anybody? I do. I think about that. So how did he know? How did he know what happened? Well, here's how they discovered what happened. Later on, Some of the very same men who put or who prosecuted Jesus, some of the very same Pharisees who tried to trap Jesus with his own words, they actually became Jesus' followers. So soon after this, not too long after this, at some point, over maybe for some of them, maybe weeks, some of them, maybe months, some of them, maybe years, eventually they all, a lot of them, became Jesus followers. In fact, if you look in the book of Acts, and I said this a while ago, so you have the gospel of Matthew and Mark and Luke and John. Luke wrote the gospel, Dr. Luke, a physician, he wrote the book of Luke. He also wrote the book of Acts. Luke tells us in his stories that that they became Jesus' followers, that a lot of these men that persecuted him and that actually put him to death converted, and they became Jesus' followers, to which we should probably ask the next question. How in the world is it that some of the very same men who were responsible for having Jesus arrested, tried, and ultimately crucified, how is it that they became Jesus' followers? And my answer to that, I'll tell you next week. So that's where we'll get to next week. So ha! <laughs> right? No? Okay. <laughs> Those that are watching online is like, I'm so glad I didn't go today. <laughs> so listen, Mark chapter 14, verse 53, it says this. They took Jesus to the high priest. And all the chief priests and the elders and the teachers of the law, they all came together. Now listen, listen to that group of people. The high priest, the chief priests, the elders, and the teachers of the law. This is four different groups of people who did not get along. Okay? These people were not in cahoots. But they had a common enemy in Jesus. What's that saying? Uh... I don't even know the saying, so I don't know why I brought it up. There's a saying about what I just said. Just trust me. Google it. Google it. Okay? Uh, But they all found a common enemy in Jesus. So they come together, and Peter tells us that Peter followed this group of people from a distance. He followed them from a distance, and he follows them all the way into the courtyard of the high priest. Now, think about this. It says there, he sat down with the guards and he warmed himself by the fire. <laughs> Mark has to be going. Are you sure you want me to write that down? Are you sure you want me to put that you followed into the high priest courtyard and that you sat down and you warmed yourself by the fire with some of the guards that even arrested you? You want me to write that down? I mean, because Peter, think about it. We don't know who's going to read this document. Maybe this document is just for your relatives Maybe this document is for just close friends and family Maybe more people read it than that We don't know Are you sure you want me to say that you went in there? Little did they know that some 2,000 years later We'd be in Humble, Texas And we'd be speaking and reading from this document They didn't know that then Peter says, yeah You need to write this down. This is part of the story, and you have to tell it, because that night, I was no hero. In fact, that night, Mark, there were no heroes. The chief priest and the whole Sanhedrin. Now, if you look that up, what that is, that's basically the Supreme Court, okay? For this nation, for this city of Jerusalem this is, this is the who's who This is the end all right here They were looking for evidence against Jesus So that they could put him to death But Peter tells Mark, he says But they couldn't find anything So then they begin to bring in all these witnesses If you know what I mean They bring in all these witnesses And it says it's Mark writes, he says, many testified falsely against him, but their statements, their statements didn't line up. They, they came in and they started saying things and this guy, he contradicted what he said because this guy contradicted, they, they weren't even in the same city and people just started coming in and making up stuff. They started just saying things against Jesus over and over and over. And the high priest, he kind of loses his temper. He realized in this moment, we're not getting anywhere with this. This is not taking us anywhere. So he loses his temper. He gets right up in Jesus' face and he says, are you not going to answer? Are you not going to answer? What, what is this, the, this testimony that these men are bringing against you? Peter looks at Mark, and he says, but Jesus, he didn't say a word. He just sat there. He stayed silent the whole entire time. And listen, this just drives these men crazy. You know why it drives these men crazy? Is because, like I said, these men were the who's who, okay? They were the most high-ranking, most respected people in all of the nation, These men, when they walked, everybody would point. They were like the celebrity, superstar. People would point. Even if you didn't like them, you knew who they were. You knew who they were. And people would point and look at them. When they would walk into a crowd, the crowd would part as they walked by. It was powerful. And now, all of a sudden, they got this Nazarene day laborer, Jesus of Nazareth, who's going around, and people are starting to proclaim he's the the messiah that was prophesied about and we're asking him these questions and he won't even answer us he won't even give us the respect the honor that we deserve he won't even answer us it drove them mad and again the high priest he asked him are you the messiah the son of the blessed one i'm asking you one more time are you or are you not the messiah I don't know why you won't answer us. I don't know why you're hardly even looking at me. But are you or are you not the Messiah? This was one of the most significant moments in history. Because the answer to Jesus' question, I mean, our destiny, the the destiny, Jesus' destiny hung in the balance of how he answered this question. If Peter were here this morning, Peter would look to you and he would say, Listen, my destiny, your destiny hung in the balance of how Jesus would actually answer this question. Jesus answered it and he said, I am. Wow. That's it. And he condemned himself at that moment with his own words. With his own words, he sealed his own death sentence. I am. They're screaming at him, yelling, are you, are you the Messiah? Are you the Son of God? I am. The high priest at that moment, he tore his clothes. Pastor Kevin talked about this. Uh, a week or two ago, maybe last week. Uh, if you haven't listened to these, we're, we've been going through the whole Gospel of Mark. You need to go back and catch up and listen to the Gospel of Mark because it, it is so revealing and it it comes to life if you'll if you'll read it and listen and so follow this this series. But Pastor Kevin talked about this was common when they would get angry. This is what they would do: they would rip their clothes. And the the high priest he tore his clothes and he looks at the people and he says. Why do we need any more witnesses? You have heard the blasphemy from his very own lips. You heard him say it. What do you think? And they all decided in that moment to condemn Jesus as worthy. He said two words. Two words. And those two words in that moment, they decided, was worthy to condemn him To death I am Again if we could Pause for a moment It goes on and it says this Then some began to spit on him They blindfolded him They struck him with their fists They were punching Jesus So if you could just sit in this moment with me For just a second It's easy when we're in 2020 now and life is going on. We've got jobs and kids and cars and house payments and car payments. We know the story. Jesus died. He rose from the dead. Blah, 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 blah. We're saved. Yay. That's awesome. It's easy for us to just kind of glance by this. But if we could just stop for a second and feel what's happening in that room. When... The chief priests, and high priests, and elders, and the whole Sanhedrin are there and they're talking about this and they're standing with Jesus and they condemn him. It's so unnatural, it's so horrible. It's just part of the story that that we don't really set in enough, I think. But imagine this. For at least some minutes, some believe maybe half hour, some believe it was well over an hour, they just beat on Jesus. This is not the beating, you know, when they sentence him to death and they go beat him and all that. That's not the same beating. There are several beatings that happened to him. Leading up to the crucifixion This is just the behind the scenes beating When they just begin to punch him Everything all the hatred The pent up rage The pent up anger The pin up humiliation That they all had been facing At the words that this man had been speaking He had been turning things upside down And messing with their temple system And messing with their, their system to salvation And messing with their whole world and, and they were so frustrated They were so frustrated that several weeks weeks ago, we talked about it, that they sent men from Jerusalem all the way up to to, uh, Caesarea Philippi, to Capernaum, that area up north of the the Sea of Galilee, And, and they sent people to follow Jesus and listen to what he was preaching because they were so disgusted. So disgusted. They've been trying to figure out how to arrest him, how to get him out of the picture. And they finally had him. He condemned himself. Because he said I am Everything they had was coming out on him They all wanted a piece of Jesus So it says they struck him With their fist and they said Prophesy Prophesy And then the guards Took him away Prophesy and then he went for another beating. Still, again, a pre-beating to what was coming when he actually got sentenced. This is not the big beating that we watched on TV and movies and, and plays around Easter time. This is just another pre-beating because he got a few of them. And then before Peter can get begin the next part of the story, I think maybe one more time Mark probably asks him, Listen, I know where you're going with this because I've heard you tell this story. Are you sure you want me to write this down? Because when you tell the story, that's one thing. But when you write this down, it's, it's going to be there forever. I mean, it's in writing, you know. It's in writing. That kind of legitimized what you're saying. You can't go back on it because you wrote it down. And Peter says, yeah, people need to know. They need to know how far and how wide the grace and mercy Of our heavenly father is. They need to understand. That not only did Jesus come to reveal the father. What what God is like. God is like Jesus. And the mercy and the grace. That I received from my rabbi. From my friend. From my teacher in Jesus. Is the same mercy and grace. That I have been receiving. From God. Peter, in this moment, he starts realizing, I, I'm getting a different picture of God. I kind of, for all these years, I've seen, I've heard stories of the prophets of old. And I've heard stories about God in, in, the, in the Old Testament and the law and the prophets. I've heard all these stories. I had an idea of who I thought God was. That's not who God is. I'm seeing something from my rabbi, from my friend. He came to reveal A new picture of God to me. A new version of grace and mercy that I've never known. And that's coming from the Father. Because Peter would say this. After all, I did the unthinkable. I did the unpardonable. While he was being interrogated. And while they were beating on him. And punching him. And I didn't know what all was happening behind the scenes. I sat there by the fire warming myself. And I did nothing. I didn't do anything. I just sat there by the fire. And Peter, he's telling Mark this story. And he says, and while I was sitting there, one of the servants, servant girls of the high priest, kind of a big shot. She came by, and when she saw me warming myself by the fire, she looked closely at me. She she saw me standing by the fire warming myself, and she walked by. She stopped. She paused. She looked at me. She stared at me. You also were with that Nazarene. Jesus, she said. But Peter would say, I denied it. Mark wrote Peter denied it he denied it and Peter says so I got up and I I stepped away from the fire so that my face wasn't so recognizable because I was kind of in shock she caught me off guard I wasn't prepared for it again she just kept following me she just kept staying with me and she said again to those that were standing around hey this fellow he's one of them he's one of them and Peter said, I denied it, and again, people started coming, she's gathering a crowd, she's stirring up all this attention, and they're staring at me, and again, they all started saying, surely you are one of them, for you are a Galilean, in other words, we recognize your accent, you don't talk like the rest of us, we know where you're from, you're a Galilean, that's where he's from, we know that you have to be a part of this group, and and Peter says, in that moment, I was so frustrated, I was so scared, I didn't know what to do, I began To call down curses And I swore at them I do not know The man that you're talking about In that moment A rooster crowed Mark I heard it I heard it as clear as day It was almost like slow motion The rooster began to crow And I immediately remembered That Jesus predicted That I would do this He said that I would do this And Mark writes these words And this is what Peter said happened Peter, you know, think about it Mr. Rough and Tough And and, and rough and tough fisherman Big strong Peter It says He broke down and he wept He sobbed He cried He was broken. This was the moment that if Peter could go back, if there was a moment that Peter could not think about in his lifetime, in his history, if there was a moment that was so shameful or painful for Peter that he could unlive or that he could redo, this was that moment. If Peter could go back and unlive and redo that moment, Now after this, Jesus is taken to Pilate, and as you may know, the reason that they had to take Jesus to Pilate, and this is interesting, this is not really talked about a whole lot, but because the Jews didn't actually have any authority to execute anyone, okay? And so this drove the Jews crazy because this is a Jewish nation. This is their people He's one of their people But they actually didn't even have authority In their own nation To crucify anyone So this drove them crazy And it was a reminder that they just didn't have any control And so they had to go to Pilate Which Pilate loved this Pilate loved having the power and the authority He loved making them grovel So they had to go to Pilate and they had to beg Pilate for a favor, okay? Because Pilate's the only one that could give them permission to do this. They didn't have the authority to crucify anyone. So they take Jesus to Pilate. They get permission to have him executed. And and Mark writes in verse fifth in chapter fifteen, the chief priests accused him of many things. So Pilate asked him, "Aren't you going to defend yourself?" But again, Jesus made no reply. He just sat silent. It goes on and it says, and Pilate was amazed. You want to know why Pilate was amazed? It's because this happened often. Okay? I don't know how often they crucified, if it was a, a weekly or monthly, or or what how often they did this, but but when when it came down to this moment, men would stand in front of Pilate. And when Pilate would ask him this question. This is when they would get down on their knees, and they would grovel, and they would weep, and they would beg for mercy. And if you study it in history, they weren't begging to be released. They were begging for a quick death. Have mercy on me. Put me out. Just take me. Take my life right now. Please, please, please have mercy on me. And when they gave mercy in those situations, that's exactly what happened. Quick death. When they didn't give grace, when they didn't give mercy, they would drag it out as long as possible. That was typically only saved for the most horrific of criminals. The most horrific people in society that deserved the worst punishment ever. Jesus stood silent. Jesus says nothing but Pilate knew that Jesus hadn't done anything worthy of death. So he takes Jesus, <coughs> he, he sends him out, and he has him flogged. He has him beat him up. And he's thinking, you know what, if I have him flogged and beaten, maybe that will satisfy the people, and they'll shut up and leave this guy alone because he really hadn't done anything, if he even survives being flogged and beaten. I don't know. And so that's his mindset And so Jesus has gone out, and he's been beaten and flogged, and thinking that's going to satisfy the people. Little did he know they weren't going to be satisfied. They wanted him dead. So Jesus comes back in, and, and Pilate He asked the people, he says, what shall I do then, okay? Listen, I've had him flogged. I've had him beaten. I mean, he looks like death right now. He's just barely hanging on. What do you want me to do with him? What do you want me to do with the one that you call the king of the Jews? Oh, now I don't know how you read that, but the way you need to understand it is that was a dig, okay? That was a smart aleck remark right there, okay? Any of you ever get slapped from your mom or dad for being a smart aleck uh, besides me? I mean, I didn't. If none of y'all did, then I didn't either. But uh, if some of y'all did, I did too quite a few times. I remember getting backhanded by my dad one time, waking up the next week. And uh, <laughs> he said this to me. Long before you, it was me and your mama. And long after you're gone, it's me and your mama. You ain't going to talk to your mama like that. Side note. Anyway, that's not part of my message. I was thinking about an altar call there because I thought that would be powerful, but I'm not going to do it. So after he has him beaten and flogged, he says, what shall I do with the one that you call king of the Jews? Now the reason was that this was such a big deal is because the Jews did not consider Jesus to be their king, okay? They didn't like that. They didn't like that idea. And in fact, The chief priest and the high priest and the elders and the teachers of the law had been stirring up the people to turn on Jesus anyway. So most of the people in this crowd wasn't the Jesus followers that had been with them. They scattered. When Jesus got arrested, they scattered. The crowd now is the people that weren't Jesus followers. These are the people that the chief priests and the high priests and the teachers of the law had been stirring up and making them angry and making them angry at Jesus. All of a sudden, Pilate comes out and says, What do you want me to do with the one that you call king of the Jews? That just infuriated them. Okay, That made them so mad. They began to shout, Crucify him. Crucify him. Crucify him. And as you know, Pilate decided to give in to the crowd. <coughs> the soldiers led him away. He goes on to say, and they called together the whole company of soldiers. Now, it's important to know who these soldiers are. And I'm, I'm going to get ready to wrap up here. These were not just Roman legions. These were not Roman citizens. We know from history that Pilate had around him, what they call Roman auxiliaries. Roman auxiliaries, these were men, these were soldiers that were taken from surrounding, surrounding regions. And these surrounding regions, every one of them hated Judeans. They hated Judeans. So the idea, or the concept, or the thought of a Judean king also infuriated these guys. They could not stand it, which also helps explain to you why it was so violent, why it was so hateful, why it was so brutal, is because these weren't just Roman soldiers. These were people from surrounding regions, the Roman auxiliaries, who could not stand Judeans. And all of a sudden, they got a guy, everybody's saying is the Judean king. The king of Israel, the king of the Jews. So Mark writes, as Peter tells him, they put a purple robe on his back, and they twisted together a crown of thorns, and they set it on his head, and they begin to shout and call out, Hail, king of the Jews. They're mocking him. They're mocking him. They're picking on him. They're just, just, Ragging on him And and he says again and again They struck him in the head with a staff And they spit on him And when they had mocked him They took off the purple robe And they put his own clothes Back on his bloody Nasty Beaten back They brought Jesus to a place Called Golgotha And then there's a simple line here That, that Peter says Mark writes down That We seem to miss, but it was so significant in 1st century Judaism and 2nd century. And they crucified him. No details are given about this because no details were needed. Okay? This document, as it's being written, everybody who's going to read it at the moment, they all know what crucifixion is. They've all seen crucifixion. In fact, if this document makes it out of the first century into the second century, they'll know what crucifixion is. So there's no details given because there's no details necessary because everyone understands the gruesome effect of crucifixion. Everybody knows what the aftermath of crucifixion looks like. Even in our modern-day portrayals, There's always a sense that sometimes we glamorize the crucifixion, you know? We do that. We glamorize it and we almost romanticize it. We sand off the rough edges because, to be honest, what really happened would be way too gruesome for us today in 2020 to look at, especially today in 2020 with all the sensitive people. You can't say anything because it hurts their feelings. It's not politically correct. If we were to show what really, really happened, it would be too much. In fact, think about this. The moment when God was most glorified would be the moment that we would be most horrified. The the moment in history. It all came down to this one moment that he would have been so glorified, the most glorified as he gave his life for us would have been the moment that we would have been most horrified, that we would have had to look away because what God was doing for you and what God was doing for me was unthinkable, it was unimaginable, and we would have had to turn our faces. But then the crowd didn't turn their face. The story continues, and it says this. Somebody yells out and he says, so you are going to destroy this temple and then in three days you are going to build it again. So why don't you just come on down? Come on on down off the cross and save yourself. And then they said something that they had no idea how significant of a statement this was. Peter stood in the back of the crowd. Peter's listening at this point. Peter had no idea how significant this statement would be. Here's what they shouted. He saved others. But he can't save himself. Just need you to think about that for a second. They said it. All the ones that are putting him to death, they screamed out, He saved others. But couldn't save himself. And 30 years later as Peter is in this jail cell or he's under house arrest. We're not exactly sure what kind of imprisonment he's in. He's at the end of his life and he doesn't know it yet. But he's not leaving the city alive. And he's writing, he's telling the story to Mark and Mark's writing it down. Peter recounts this story to Mark. He has to have smiled at Mark as he's retelling the story. Because it's 30 years after it's 30 years after, so he he has hindsight. See, if he was telling us the story the day it happened, he's in tears, he's bawling. But now it's 30 years later, he knows the ending. He has hindsight. And he says, what, what they don't realize is that Jesus, he didn't save himself so that he could save others. If he had saved himself, perhaps he would have been unable to save others. Had he saved himself, perhaps he would have been unable to save me. If he had have saved himself, perhaps he would have been unable to save you. See, the reason that he didn't save himself was exactly so that he could save everyone else. So he could give to everyone else. They weren't finished mocking him. They began to yell out and they said, let this Messiah, this King of Israel, let him come down from the cross so that we may see and believe. Again, they had no idea what they were saying. They had no idea. As Peter's telling us to Mark, I just can't help but think about Peter telling us to Mark and going... I remember them saying, Come down from the cross, save yourself, Mr. King, so that we can see and believe. Mark's probably thinking, Peter's probably thinking, Little did I know in that moment that two days later I would see and I would believe. In that moment, I thought it was all done. Little did I know. They're shouting out, come down so that we can see and believe. And man, if I knew then what I know now, I would just have yelled out, oh, you're about to see, you're about to believe. But I didn't know. So I just kept my mouth shut. But for 30 years, Peter's been telling the story and reliving the story. And Peter tells us the strangest thing happened. The strangest thing happened, this very man who had spoken to the wind and the waves and had the ability to control nature, in that moment he became a victim of nature. And he writes in in Mark chapter 15 verse 33, At noon darkness came over the whole land, and at three in the afternoon Jesus cried out with a loud voice, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Has that ever bothered you? It's always bothered me. It's bothered me to think that Kevin could watch Kagan go through something so horrific and walk away. Because that doesn't paint a real good picture of a father to me. Does it to you? I mean, you tell me if you're a parent. I would have a hard time walking away and deserting my kids if they were in a moment like this. And then Jesus, he yells out, my God, my God, why? Why have you forsaken me? He asks a question that nobody had the answer to. But Peter tells his story over and over and over for some 30 years. And in this moment, all of a sudden, it dawns on him. They begin to realize what Jesus was saying, the significance of what Jesus was saying. And, and I'm going to paint a picture for you, but I want you to just imagine, just imagine some of the things that have been going on in, in downtowns and some of the riots. Let's just pretend for just a second, for kicks and giggles, let's just pretend for just a second, I was able to get out into the middle of a crowd, and I was able, able to quieten the crowd and, and get everybody to listen to me. And I begin to sing. Let's say it was at an Astros game with a packed stadium. And we had just been going through something. And it was an intense moment. And I just began to sing. Amazing grace. How sweet the sound. See, what would probably happen as I continued is people probably would start singing with me. Because to be honest with you, religious or not especially if you have any religious background whatsoever, most people can sing that song. Most people know that song, right? They've at least been to a a funeral or something where this song was played. This is what's happening in this moment. Jesus, he screams out and he says, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And we in 2020, we read that and we go, yeah, God, why did you forsake him? Why did you do that, God? We sing about you're a a good, good father. A good father wouldn't do that. But most of the people in the crowd, when Jesus said that, they knew what he was saying. They knew what he was saying because there was a psalm that was written and, and they had sung it. For generation after generation After generation after generation It was a very, very popular song They had sung it for hundreds and hundreds of years And I put, I'm take, I take, took this song and I copied it Just the way it was written in my Bible And we're, we're going to skip around a little bit But I put this song up And it's in Psalm chapter 22 And it says this at the beginning It says, for the director of music This is not one of the verses This is what the, the commentators are telling us For the director of music to the tune of of The dough of the morning A Psalm of David And it starts off like this This beautiful song My God, my God Why have you This is a song that they all knew When Jesus yelled that out They probably immediately began to think of the lyrics of this song So I'm going to go on. Maybe Jesus continued this song under his breath. Maybe people standing in the crowd begin to sing this song under their breath. I guarantee you that people begin to walk away as he began to say this song, as he began to quote this song because they knew what was coming. It says, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Why are you so far from saving me, so far from my cries of anguish? My God, I cry out by day, but you do not answer. By night, I find my... I find no rest. Now as I read this, I want you to just think, imagine if this is what Jesus was thinking. Imagine if this is what Jesus was saying under his breath as he continued. Yet you are enthroned as the Holy One. You are the one Israel praises. You are the, in your, in you our ancestors put their trust. They trusted and you delivered them. To you they cried and were saved In you they trusted and were not put to shame. But I am a worm, I'm not a man, scorned by everyone, despised by the people. All who see me, they mock me, they hurl insults at me, shaking their heads. He trusts the Lord, they say. Let the Lord rescue him. Let him deliver him, since he delights in him. Yet you brought me out of the womb. You made me trust in you. Even at my mother's breast. From birth I was cast on you. From my mother's womb you have been my God. I do not. Do not be far from me, for trouble is near, and there is no one to help. And then I'm going to skip down, because it continues the same kind of theme. I'm going to skip down to verse 22. It says, I will declare your name to my people in the assembly. I will praise you, you who fear the Lord. Praise him, all you descendants of Jacob. Honor him, revere him, all you descendants of Israel. For he has what? Come on, somebody. He has what? He has not despised or scorned the suffering of the afflicted one. He has what? Come on, he has He has not hidden his face from him, but he has listened To his cry for help. And then the psalmist wraps up the very last verse. Verse number 31 says. They will proclaim his righteousness. Declaring to the people yet unborn. Which is you and me. That he has done it. Come on. He has done it. As I think about this passage. I think about Jesus on the cross. Thinking about this song. Thinking about this song as it's going through his head, as he cries out, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Knowing where he was going, you have it. You didn't turn your head, you didn't turn away from me in shame, you never lost sight of me. And then I can imagine Jesus getting to the very last line of that psalm and going, I imagine people in the crowd getting to the last line of that song, you know, he has done it. I imagine Peter, two days later, when he sees Jesus, and he has breakfast with him on the beach, looking at him going, you did it. You really did it. You did it. We sang this song for years and years and years, generation after generation after generation. And you did it. You did. You won. Then Peter goes on and he says, I'll never forget this. In that moment with a loud voice, Jesus breathed his last. And the thing is that Peter would probably smile and tell Mark, the thing is we didn't know at the time. We found out later when Jesus breathed his last that something extraordinary happened. We didn't know. We just found out later. But it was like divine scandalism. It was like divine vandalism. Because while this was happening, inside the temple, the curtain was ripped into two. Not from the bottom to the top, but from the top to the bottom. The curtain that has for generations separated common man from God, from the Holy One, wasn't there anymore. It was separated. It was separated. The old order had come to an end. That something that Jesus had talked about, that something that Jesus said was greater than the temple, that something that Jesus said was greater than Moses had finally come, greater than the Sabbath day, greater than the prophets, greater than the Ten Commandments, that something new, that something better, that something that was all-encompassing, it finally came. There would be no more separation between God and man. From that day forward, there would be no more separation between God and man. The covenant that Jesus talked about at the Passover, the covenant between God and the human race had been officially ratified. And the great thing about it is everyone is invited to participate in that covenant. That covenant is for you. The covenant for me. Peter, if he was here this morning he would say, that covenant is for me, even though I deserve to not be a part of the kingdom. I, even though I, I did what I did, I got precisely what I didn't deserve. Peter goes on and he writes his own letters in one of his letters in second Peter or in First Peter chapter 2. he includes himself in this statement that he wrote. He's talking about Jesus, he said, He himself bore our, everybody say our, our sins in his body on the cross. Peter includes himself. Peter includes you. He includes me. He includes his sin. He says it includes your sin. It includes my sin. And the most fascinating part of all of this, and I don't want you to miss it, is Peter didn't learn all of this information because Peter read the Bible when he was a kid. Peter has this information because he experienced it personally. He experienced it face to face. He experienced face to face forgiveness, face to face restoration in the presence of his resurrected rabbi and his friend. And so the message was clear that the same forgiveness, the same reconciliation, the same restoration happened for you as well. It happened for you as well. That's the good news. That's the good news that we've been trying to tell you about. Jesus came to reveal the Father. And in revealing the Father, He reveals a mercy and a grace that you'll never be able to understand. You'll never be able to fathom the mercy and the grace that God has bestowed upon you. The time has come. The kingdom of God has come near. That means that you are never far And if Peter was here, I think you would probably say this. If you've seen what I saw, then your response to all of this is you would would repent. You would change the way you think about God, the way you think about religion, the way you think about the kingdom and heaven and hell. You would change all that. And you would begin to believe the good news. You would believe the good news because it was so good. That Jesus came to reveal the Father He came to show the Father Reconciling us to Himself We sing the song sometimes That He's a good, good Father There's probably not any better lyrics That we could really sing Except that He is a good, good Father So listen, you may carry around Shameful and painful thoughts But Peter's wanting you to know There's a place to leave those Because though your past may remind you, in God's perspective, your past does not define you. You are not your past. You are not. God only sees you through the death, burial, and resurrection of his perfect sacrifice, who is Jesus Christ. Your past is not who you are. We're going to pick up this story next week. We're going to close out this series. It'll be done next week. So those of you who felt like we've been dragging this on We just wanted you to see exactly Mark's perspective as Mark Takes us through this journey But before we do that I'm going to ask you all to stand for a minute It's one thing To say all this stuff but It's another thing to believe it And it's another thing to live it And sometimes to to really Believe it and put it in action we have to Actually say it and so I put a simple prayer that I want us to pray. And I'm going to read this prayer and we're going to put it up on the, the screen so that you can read it and those that are watching online so that you can read it. It's a simple prayer that I just want us to say together. It goes like this. It says, Heavenly Father, like Peter, I believe Jesus bore all sin in his body on the cross. I place my faith In Him as my Savior, my Lord, my Father. Thank you. Come on, say it again. Thank you. Thank you for forgiving me of my sin. In Jesus' name. Father, I pray right now and I seal this. God, I seal this promise that you've given us. I seal this blessing, this covenant that you have made for us and in us. God, and we receive it right now. God, we walk boldly into our workplace. We walk boldly into our schools. We walk boldly into our own homes, knowing what you have done for us. Jesus, thank you. Thank you, one, for the sacrifice that you made on our behalf. But Jesus, I think I think the most powerful thing that you've done for me is you showed me what my dad really looks like. So the sacrifice was awesome, Jesus. But thank you for revealing who God really is. Who God really is and what he really looks like. Because that's the God I've been missing. So thank you, Jesus, for being the perfect example of what the Father is to be. I thank you for that, Jesus. In your precious name I pray. Everybody said, Amen. Amen.